You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vandor, the I, and I think you're interesting. There's a moment at the end of the second season of Netflix's wonderful sitcom, One Day at a Time, that I'm not going to spoil because it's only a few days after that season has come out, so maybe you haven't had a chance to watch it. Maybe you haven't watched any of it because you don't listen to and take every single recommendation I give you. But there is a moment when the series star, Justina Machado, who you may know from numerous other projects. I, I knew her best from Six Feet Under before this, but this, is, this has cemented her in my mind forever and ever. Uh, when she delivers a monologue. Again, I won't spoil what it's about, what's happening. It's a huge, emotional, dramatic piece of writing that she has to deliver, obviously all from memory because she's an actor, but also like just hit all of these beats, emotional beats, hit all of these tones, all of this stuff. And yeah, she did rehearsals and, and all of that. But I was there the night they taped that episode in front of the live studio audience. I was in the live studio audience and she did it in one take this probably five six seven minute scene that's just her speaking one take uh, hit every cue perfectly and when I watched the episode finally it was it was that take that she had done and I was blown away by what she did and, and how she handled that scene and I'm going to talk to her a lot about it because she's our guest today but I am fascinated by the process not just of acting, you know, I've talked to actors, you've heard that before. But I'm fascinated by the process of acting in front of an audience, which is what happens in one of these sorts of sitcoms where there's the audience, they're waiting to laugh and how that changes your relationship to material like this. And Justina is giving, I think, one of TV's best performances in the lead role of Penelope Alvarez on One Day at a Time. And you should go watch it just in general. And you, you can listen to this if you haven't seen it because we're not going to spoil anything, but you should go watch it because it is me one of tv's best shows one of its greatest treats and kind of a hidden show that's under the radar of a lot of folks um but i'm so excited to have justina here this week we're going to talk about that show we're going to talk about her career we're going to talk about all manner of things i can't wait for you to hear it let's go justina thank you for joining me oh thank you for having me so I just talked a lot in the intro about a moment in the finale, which I didn't spoil for anybody, but I was so impressed by, I, I told them I was at the tape and you did it in one take. And I was so impressed by like the level of preparation, not just in like memorizing the lines, but in knowing where the emotions were going to hit all of that. And I realized that like, this is your job is to know <laughs> when to do this stuff. But like, what's your process when you're like, somebody hands you like, okay, here's five pages of dialogue. Uh, and you have to learn it and act it and just like know where everything has to go. Like, well, how do you approach a problem like that? Uh, it's, it's, I kind of do everything at once. I mm -hmm. learn the lines at once. I figure out what I have to do at once. I mean, it, it, it evolves, mm -hmm. you know, um, but I, I just get it in my body right away. So as soon as I get it, I just start playing with it and, uh, I think about it a lot. It, you know, it's not just me sitting down studying. I literally can't stop thinking about it. Like right. while I'm working, I'm, I'll be talking to you and people could tell I am like in another place because <laughs> I'm thinking about the lines and I'm running through them and I'm running through them. And to me, the most important thing is knowing the words so that I can have the freedom to play with it and to figure things out. Mm -hmm. Now, with that finale, you know, we were we, we have like four days of rehearsal. So we were very strategic about. Uh, the rehearsal process in that, you know, everyone, because it's it's a bunch of monologues, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, we just worked on it in four or five days like a play. Yeah. And uh, that's how we did it. But you kind of have to do everything kind of at once, you know, and then compartmentalize it, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Did you have a, a theater background? Did oh, you? yeah. Yeah. That's how I started. Yeah. I mean, I'm from Chicago, born sure. and raised. And, uh, like Great theater I, town. Oh, exactly. <laughs> it is an incredible theater town. And that before I left to New York, uh, I was 22 when I moved to New York. And I moved to New York because I wanted to be a Broadway star. Okay. I didn't think about television. Of course, everybody wants to be a movie star. You know? mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? But really, it was the Broadway star. And that's why I went to New York. And then life brought me here to Los Angeles. But I did uh, uh, play after play for probably uh, four years, uh, four or five years before I got to L.A. I'm, I'm going to put a pin in that because I'm going to come back to that. Okay. Uh, but you mentioned that you can't, you like you feel it in your body yeah. when you're doing a big speech like that. Do you tend to work from like the, the physical performance out or do you like think about it a lot? You know, I know actors approach how obviously you've played this character for two seasons. Yeah. Now, so you have a better sense of her. But like when you're starting on a character, like how do you start to build that? that person more than anything i never really think about physicality i wish i did think more about that i mean i really admire the actors who do you mm-hmm. know but I, th- that has never really been important to me unless it is an important you know factor of the character i just rather i just want to come from an honest place that's all i just want to i just want whatever i'm saying to sound like it's real mm-hmm. and i just um it's it's just more about understanding what's happening and understanding who this character is and and being in the scene with someone you know because you can have all the ideas in the world and then you come and you're you're with a scene partner and it it's not what they're giving you so you can't really lock yourself in into what it is that you want it to be unless you're playing Abraham Lincoln yeah <laughs> <laughs> then i understand but other than that you can't really lock yourself in because you, you don't really know what's going to happen and you don't really know what you can discover so more than anything, I just have to have a sense of who this person is. And from there, I could run free and have fun. Right. One of the things I love about the show is is the cast is rock solid, top yeah. to bottom. And Penelope is different with her mom, is different with her kids, is different with her boss, is different with uh, Schneider. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to classify him. He's the greatest. Isn't he the greatest? Yeah. I mean, I just, what he does is so difficult, yeah. you know, to be funny and to kind of look clueless mm-hmm. and, and not come, of, of, you know, not be a buffoon. I mean, he's he's really great on the show. But you were talking about how acting is kind of a give and take with yeah. your co-stars. What have you learned about your character from the other people around you, from the other actors you work with? Um, uh, that it's, uh, I mean, everyone seems to really love her. You know, the mother loves her, the kids, everyone knows she's hardworking. Everyone knows she's loyal. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows she's incredibly loving and compassionate. And she does that. You're right with everybody in her life in a different way, but it's still the same thing. Uh, so I I think, yeah, I think she's, uh, they all kind of feel the same way about her. Well, I I said I was going to put a pin in the theater thing because I know that um, these sitcoms filmed in front of live audiences Mm -hmm. kind of went away for a while. And now they're having a comeback and One Day at a Time is is my favorite of sort of this current wave of them. Um, And I do like, like, do you get a lot of energy from that audience? Because some actors are kind of thrown by it. Yeah. Like even really great actors mm-hmm. can be thrown by that. But do you get a lot of energy from having those people there? It's it, Yeah, you do. And of course, I mean, it's uh, it's you get nervous. You get really, really nervous. Because what the one thing about a sitcom, it, what I had to learn, because I hadn't done a sitcom since the 90s. Wow. And, um, you know, and the ones I did, they were like set up, set up joke. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like this. Yeah. It wasn't like a play. Um, I have to remember that I'm not there to entertain them. I'm there to do my job and tell the story. And that's what sometimes I don't like messing up in front of them. And I know that I'm human and I'm going to mess up, but I get embarrassed. (laughs) You know, it's like there are certain things that I have to remember. Okay, this is you get another take. It's going to be all right. You get another take. They're on your side. I have to remember that, you know. They're here to support you. But absolutely, you get a rush of energy. It changes everything. It, it really does change everything because I have done a lot of single camera half hours. Right. And you don't have an audience, so you don't know. So so people are kind of guessing what they think is funny, what's not funny. Um, with us, we know immediately if it's not funny. Right. <laughs> or we know immediately if it is. So, I, and I think it's the greatest training for actors I mean, I think every actor should do a sitcom or theater. Seriously, yeah. it's an amazing training. One of the things that I think works about the show that reminds me of something like Cheers, for mm-hmm. instance, they would not be afraid to just do like, we're going to do a long scene where Sam Malone is sad about something. And like you guys will have big dramatic speeches. You'll have moments where the characters are fighting and like there are jokes every so often, but it's mostly a serious scene. Do you ever like how do you um how do you gauge the audience reaction in those moments because obviously like I think in those moments 
to me as a critic, wondering how the audience is reacting is almost like another character because yeah. like they'll gasp or they'll like go, oh, wow. Or they'll go, oh, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> um, but like, how do you, how do you sort of gauge if they're in it when they're not necessarily meant to be laughing, you know, because a laugh is such an instinctual response, yeah. but like attention oh, is you harder know to earn. Yeah. Oh, you know it. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you don't have to be an actor to know that, you know, sometimes you're somewhere and you're speaking and all of a sudden you say, I feel like everyone is looking at me. <laughs> and, and that's kind of what it is. Yeah. It's like, there is a silence, but it's almost like they go from the back of their seat to the front of their seat. Mm. And they're all just like, what's happening here? And there's like this, eerie silence but you know that they're listening mm-hmm. i don't know what it is it's like when you know somebody's next to you you know like yeah. i just said and you're like some, that that's what it feels like so you can feel it's it's not just their laughter it's their energy that you can feel also yeah yeah so uh, i always think of like uh I live downtown, so the last bookstore down there, and I don't, I don't know if you've ever been there, but yeah. like, I like if you say anything there, everybody will just kind of look at you. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what was the sitcom you did? What were the sitcoms you did in the 90s? What were in the, last the 90s, which is so interesting because I did a sitcom with Sherman Helmsley. Mm-hmm. I, it was called Good Behavior. He was lovely, mm-hmm. and he was looking for like a flow. You know, to his, uh, I, I was so young. I was like 23, 24. I had the best time with him. And then I did uh, uh, a lot of pilots back in the day because sitcoms in the 90s were yeah. the thing. They didn't get picked up. But I did Good Behavior and then I did the Gregory Hines show. Mm-hmm. So those were the pilots. Uh, I mean, the the actual on-air sitcoms that I did. Sherman and Hel- the Arsenio Hall show. Oh, yeah. I played his boss. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> that was in front of a live audience. Yeah. yeah I was Arsenio Hall's uh, boss on the Arsenio Hall show, which everyone's like, there was an Arsenio Hall show. <laughs> I, I'm like, yeah, there was in the nineties. That lasted like four it episodes. It did. Vivica yeah. Fox played his wife. Yeah. And, um, and I played his boss. <laughs> yep. What was it like, uh, as a young actor, like working with some of these people who are like real legends of television? Um, I think it's so great to be young and ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> When you're just, you know who they are, but you're just so young and excited that you don't really get that nervous. It's just like, yeah, Mm -hmm. this is great. You're just so excited. And, you know, uh, to me, for me, the older I get, the more nervous I get about things like, oh, my God, I'm going to work with that person. I'm going to work with this person. But when I was younger, I was like, you couldn't tell me anything. I was excited to be the only person I ever got super, super nervous working with was Sean Penn. Oh, really? Yes, because that was the first time I ever did anything in L.A. Mm-hmm. It was my first job. It was my. It was a scene with him and Robin Wright, and I saw him coming towards me, and I was like, I, I did what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is Sean Penn. I don't, I don't know what to say. And, um, you know, but other than that, uh, yeah, I was. I, I didn't really think about it much. I was really excited. Now is where I think about it and get, I get really nervous. Um. So you got nervous when you found out you're going to be working with Rita Moreno? Is that, is that what you're I, saying? You know, yeah, yeah. I got nervous. <laughs> I really did. And also I got nervous when I walked in to audition for Norman Lear. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, all I wanted out of that audition was for him to think I was good. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted. Of course, I was on another show. So uh, I wanted this show, but I was on Queen of the South. So I had a show, you know, right. and but I just wanted him to like me. And then when it went further, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Yeah. 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 That's one of the things that the show is, is interesting in the show is that so many people have tried to do a Norman Lear show since sort of the height of his, his dominance in the seventies. And most of them have failed. Like there have been a few that have kind of been able to do it, but this is the first one to really capture it for me. And of course he's right there. Like, what does he bring? Like, what do you learn from him? Even if it's something intangible that like makes this show work, you know? Uh, well, first of all, we know he revolutionized television. I mean, we know that, you know, my sh- co- my showrunners, Mike Royce and Gloria calderon Kelly, are geniuses and yeah. the writers are freaking amazing. Right. <laughs> That's my Chicago thing, freaking. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, the reason these shows are around, like you just said, are because of Norman. He just brings like this weight to right. it. He brings this like uh, fierceness to it. And also... He brings a lot of heart. Like, you know, 
that he wants to see the real deal. Mm-hmm. You know that it's not some pretend cry and then we're going to go into like a happy joke. These are going to be real emotions and right. we're going to stay there as long as we need to stay there. And then we're going to move on when we need to move on. And I think probably that's why some of those didn't uh, last because people get nervous. Mm-hmm. They're like, this, this is a comedy. It's a comedy. We we can't have people like be sad or, or be crying. And it's like, no, you, you can do that. It's real life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and then the, the laugh is even a bigger payoff. Right. So he just he and and he's so supportive and he's so loving and it's just like one as my sh- beautiful show showrunner Gloria Calderon Kellett loves to say it's a love fest. Yeah, <laughs> she loves that word. Well, he also buys you space. I'm sure. Oh to yeah. Like you don't have the studio or the network being like, well, we got to have six more jokes in here. Like you can you yes. can do things uh, like tell a story about. Uh, there's an episode this season. This is a very mild spoiler. It starts out about <laughs> one thing, and then it turns into a show. It oh, turns into mm-hmm, an episode about mm-hmm. gender roles, and then it turns into an episode about um, about gun control. Like, mm. there's all this stuff, and it fits, but also like uh, is you know is it, it's topical without being too heavy, you yes. know. And that material could be so difficult to pull off. What is a, like? What is is he giving you any advice in that? Uh, uh, realm or maybe even Mike and Gloria, who obviously have some great. Yeah, I mean, I you know Norman, he he will give advice if he thinks you need advice. He's mm-hmm. not intrusive at all. Right. He's not that that kind of man. Um, and I think Gloria and Mike, and no, I just you know when things just work, like mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah, that's all. I get it. They don't have to talk to me about it too much. I get it, and so does everybody else that they cast, which is why they cast these people. Uh, we get it. It's life. There yeah. are different boxes and sections in life. So it's refreshing to be able to do that and not to just to be able to play, you know, be in one box and play that one kind of thing and always be this person. Um, so it's not anything we really discuss. It's just something we do. Yeah. There are a lot of shows where Penelope would be the Latina character. <laughs> yeah, for, for real. For I've lack of it. a better way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> but here, you know, obviously... She yes, she's she's Cuban American, yeah. but also she's you know uh, dealing with PTSD. She's dealing with she was a veteran. You know, she's yeah. dealing with veteran affairs. Like there are all of these. Uh, there's a lot of intersections in this character. A lot of different elements to play. And like I'm wondering, um, how often do you get offered that sort of character? I guess is the the question. Yeah, exactly. Or how often does it even come across as something you could audition for? You know, never. Yeah, ever. Mm-hmm. Especially being a woman of color. And this is what, you know, so many of us are, you know, really being vocal about, you know, nowadays, which is awesome. I really love that. I love, you know, that it's coming to the forefront. So many things are coming to the forefront. But not only as a woman of color, but just as a woman. It is difficult to get a part like that. Yeah, It is incredibly difficult. I mean, I can't think of anything in, you know, as of late, you know, I'm sure there are, you know, but it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to come across that kind of role. Those roles always go to men. Right. Always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So when you see something like this, um, how hard do you go after it? Like, how hard did you go after this part? I couldn't go ho- over, uh, too hard for it because I was on the show. And yeah. so I needed to figure out what was going on there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and there was a point where I didn't think it was going to happen. Right. And then by the grace of God and uh, fabulous, my manager, Danielle Dell and Dana Walden at Fox and... All of those wonderful people, they allowed me to to leave Queen of the South to have this opportunity, which does not happen. Well, yeah. What was that conversation like? What was that conversation where you're like, well, <laughs> funny thing. Yeah. Well, I had some things on my side for Queen of the South, mm-hmm. which w- was on my side. But um, uh, I don't know what that conversation was like. I wasn't a part of it. <laughs> I was just hoping everything went well. <laughs> I was between my reps and, and everybody else. But so I didn't go for it too hard. But when I found out that I was going to be released, I still, it was still wasn't sure that I had one day at a time. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but I had to get out of that in order to even be considered, you know, it's a whole like contractual thing. Yeah. And then I just did what I did the first couple times I went in there. And I was like, I really didn't think anybody could do it better than me. Mm. And I really don't say that often. (laughs) But I was like, I don't think anyone can do this the way I can do it. And that was the only thing I, I, I just believed in that. 
I've heard a lot from actors that when they see a character that they really respond to or they really want to play, they just are like, I know who that person is. Yeah. I know how to, was, was it that way with Penelope? Totally. What did you see in her that made you say that? The the levels, you know, what you're talking about, like the crying and then the laughing and then the this and then the, I mean, the passion and then going from one subject to another. It's so Latino. Mm. It is such a family. It is exactly what I grew up with. None of that is foreign to me. So when someone goes, hey, how do you feel about this or that or or how'd you how'd you prepare for the role? I'm like life. Mm. I'm from I'm a Puerto Rican girl from Chicago. Mm. My parents are, uh, you know, they were born in Puerto Rico. They moved to the States in the 50s with uh, my grandmother and all their family. And I know this life. My, You know, I was, my mother was single for a long time with my brother and I, and we lived with my grandmother. I know mm. this life. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the only thing I don't have is kids and an ex-husband. Right. <laughs> Other than that, but you know, I know it. Uh, you, you say that you know the life. What do you think that, obviously the show is going to be heightened for fiction, you know, stuff yeah. is going to happen that wouldn't happen in real life. But what do you think it gets <laughs> right? Like, what do you think it gets right about, living in that situation where you have like three generations under the same roof. Oh, everything, the different ways we think about things. Like if you look at the episode last year we did about sexism and mansplaining, um, what was so interesting about that episode is when we first got the script, uh, you know, because it's, you know, scripts change with sitcoms, you know, mm-hmm. they're constantly changing. It, we don't lock it in until the day, like the day, a, a couple days before we're supposed to shoot. That's when we lock it in. Right. And, um, in the beginning, Penelope was the first draft we got of it. Penelope was very, you know, um, militant and everybody was militant. And I remember I walked in and I said, I, I don't think that Penelope would be militant. I think that, that, uh, my daughter would definitely be militant. Mm-hmm. I would be somewhere in the middle. And my my mother, and, and Rita was in the same meeting with me. Rita, Rita agreed. My mother would be more uh, like, oh, come on. What's the big deal? <laughs> you're lucky he did that to you, you know? And so they were like, yeah, you're right. You know, that, that's the beauty about Gloria and Mike. They were like, you're absolutely right. That makes, to- we love that. We love it. And so then they came back with this beautiful script mm-hmm. and it was exactly what it is in real life. Every, right. You got three different generations. You're going have three different ways of thinking about things my brother lives with me and he's a millennial and Mm. believe me we think differently about a lot of things (laughs) (laughs) and we are the the closest can be you know but we think differently about Mm. a lot and that's just that's life and i didn't want this you know pretend like is that what you were talking about it's like that's that's what they get right they get three different perspectives on the same issue and they get that right uh, what do you fight about with your brother? Uh, mostly politics, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but also, you know, God bless them because uh, I really believe that the millennials are putting us into a different place. I really do. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are the future and the... I love how they don't see anything in between. It's mm-hmm. black and white. Yeah. <laughs> but those are people that change the world. Yeah. So I'm a little bit more... I have a lot more life than he does. So... I, you know, I'm like, well, maybe. And he's like, no, no. Oh, sorry. Look, I got too excited. I got my microphone everywhere. He's like, no, no. It's like this. It's like that. And, and he's just very militant. He's very Elena. Yeah. Very Elena, my brother. And by the way, that's his favorite character. Yeah. So they get her absolutely right. Mm -hmm. You said you don't have kids. No. But what have you like? Like, what have you taken away from having TV kids? Like, what, <laughs> what, what has that relationship been like? I'm always interested right. in that. You know, having fake kids, basically, because <laughs> they are kind of real. You're real kids. No, they really ways. are. Yeah. They, um, it depends on the kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've worked with some kids where I'm like, I can't wait to get away from them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, let's be real. That's, That's like, I'm not even trying to lie. Um, and then I've worked with uh, kids that are just fantastic. And these kids are unbelievable. And you do. You know what's so great? You get to be like the cool aunt. Mm. They respect you. They love you. They listen to what you have to say, but they don't get so mad at you. (laughs) They really listen to you. And, you know, I happen to work with two young, um, amazing young actors who have incredible parents. Mm. I mean, and they're only children. They're 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 both only childs. Yeah. Uh and they're just fantastic and they're so smart and they're so compassionate and loving and sweet. It's so easy with these kids. But it's it's like that. It's like the the cool aunt slash yeah. TV mom. <laughs> I, I talked with Mike and Gloria about Isabella and uh, Marcel who play your kids on yes. the show and said and they said the only children thing and that they were kind of becoming siblings to each yeah. other and they thought that was really cute. Yeah. Um 
I'm happy for them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> they do love each other very much. Yeah, yeah. Has the show caused you to think about um, issues in any different ways? Have you had like, not even like changing your mind, but just being like, oh, I see that perspective now and maybe I didn't before. No, because the show, is, I mean, not yet. I agree with everything they, they talk. I, I disagree. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything. And um, I'm just so happy that these issues are being put out there and the way I think real people think about them instead mm-hmm. of making them, you know, polishing them up because we don't think the public is can handle it. I think there's a lot of that in which, you know, pe- people don't want to think. People just want to, you know, I, the, the procedurals, you know what I mean? People just want to uh, get away from their real life. No, I think people would like to see on that screen what they're going through too. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's, I think that's a whole lot better than trying to escape your life. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting road this show has been on because when it was announced, um, there was skepticism. As there of always course. is with a TV remake. But And it was also a Latin TV remake. Yes. Yes. And then between when you made season one and it premiered, there was an election. You may have heard about it. <laughs> yeah. I may and, have been depressed for a whole year about it. <laughs> and suddenly, like, the show was more political than it might have been exactly entirely accidentally through other events. And this season is the first season produced in that world. You don't talk about Donald Trump. No. But you reference, you make references where people can be like, oh, I know what that's about. Yeah. But it is really a show about what it is like to be Latino in this world, especially that premiere. I think it's the premiere and I think you shot it second, yeah. which is about uh, prejudice and racism and things like that. And uh, it's just a fascinating conversation to be having. And uh, I'm wondering, like, as you're talking about these issues with the writers, with the other actors, like, what has it has it been cathartic to have that space to go to and talk about this in in an artistic world, in an artistic way? More than cathartic, it's been exciting to be able to put this out to the public. Mm-hmm. These are things we've all al- we've always lived with, things that we've always talked about, and you said it so brilliantly what you just said about the last season it became more political accidentally Mm. you know because so many people ask us that question like wow did you guys know that you were gonna no we didn't these are issues we've always dealt with Mm -hmm. always it's just that now because of the administration that we're living under uh it's being like so many other things being brought you know, out into the open. Mm-hmm. But these have always been important issues to us. Uh, uh, immigration, citizenship, uh, the the whole thing about seeing psychiatrists. Latinos, are you kidding me? That mm-hmm. That's like a, you don't go see somebody unless you're crazy, crazy, crazy. And if you're crazy, you just, maybe you need a rest. <laughs> yeah. They do not ever want to talk to anybody because to them it's like, how, what, what is that person going to do for me? How embarrassing that that person is going to know my business. Yeah. You know, it's all about that. So more than it's, I'm so grateful that it's being seen by all these kids that are, or people, not even kids, young people, older people that are being affected by this, that have been affected by this and know that they're not by themselves. Yeah. I was thinking like the first season has an episode about a, a guest character's parents are uh, deported. Yeah. And like that was written during the Obama administration. Totally. It was made during the, like there were deportations during Absolutely. the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. How has it felt to have these issues come to the forefront that have been talked about in Latino communities all along and like have them be out there in the open, but also like it is a very dark time in a lot of ways in that in that world? It's a very dark time, but it's got to get dark before it gets bright again. It just mm-hmm. has to. I mean, if we I'm, I can only hope that out of all this chaos and darkness and ugliness that there's just going to be a beautiful garden. Yeah. <laughs> That comes out of it, right? Because now we're being forced to deal with all of these things that we didn't, even Latinos didn't deal with them, you know? So it's not even like, oh, you people, you were ignoring us. It's like even we kind of, some of us, not all of us, uh, kind of got real comfortable. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, and, and didn't think about things. Yeah. So this is a huge wake up call because everyone is affected. Mm. Everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so interesting about this time. Mm. It's not just your problem anymore. It's mm. like, it's these are all our problems. Well, we, we're talking about the Latino situation yeah. in America, but like this is a specifically a show about Cuban Americans. Yes, like it is. there's like Cuba is a very important, like, 
the mainstream media, which tends to be written by white people like mm-hmm. myself, like <laughs> kind of lumps people together. Yeah. But like like you yourself are, are not Cuban. Like no. What have you learned about that experience talking with Gloria, who like yeah. a lot of this is drawn from her life? Yeah. Well, I, one thing that I think is really important is that everybody know <laughs> that not all Latinos have the same immigration story. Do right. you know what I mean? It's uh, Puerto Ricans are American citizens, whether, you know, Donald Trump believes it or not. <laughs> We are American citizens. Um, Cubans, they they are political exiles. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it's a whole different world that I'm so grateful and glad that she got to tell this story because so many people forget about the struggle that the Cuban uh, Americans had. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they've become so affluent in Miami and because, you know— which I'm so proud and they've done such an incredible thing for themselves. People forget that these people had to leave everything they knew, Mm -hmm. their family. They came here not knowing the language. They didn't know, you know, back in the day when they were in Cuba, I mean, in Miami and they first got there when the revolution started, it would say no dogs, no Cubans. Mm -hmm. You know, they've gone through it too. And the thing is, we haven't seen that story. All we see is the Scarface you know, (laughs) and, um, you know, some other things that, that, you know, doesn't really represent, in my opinion, the, the beauty of the Cuban people. Mm -hmm. And this is what's so beautiful about this show. Mm -hmm. I I love the episode with the Che Guevara Mm t-shirt, you know, I mean, Che Guevara to uh, some Latinos in uh, Latin America was a hero to a lot of Cubans, to most Cubans, he was a mass murderer. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's so much misconception. And I love that these things are being put out in the open and people are talking about it. And she's a, a different side of the Cuban people that people deserve to see. So here at I Think You're Interesting, we're really busy, as you can probably tell from the frantic pace of our podcast and how all our guests comment on how we're perpetually harried and throwing paper in the air and just generally making a mess of things. And here's the thing. If you're busy like we are, you maybe don't have time to get to the post office to buy stamps or print out shipping labels or things like that. Like it can be difficult to to find the time in your day. And that is where stamps.com comes in. You can get anything online and on demand. Like I could get groceries on demand. But did you know you can get postage on demand? And that's from stamps.com. And you can print real U.S. postage for any letter or any package right from your home or office 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whenever it's convenient for you. If you are up at four in the morning and you're like, you know what? I really need to send that letter to my mom. Stamps.com. It's the way to get the stamps you need to send the letter to your mom at four in the morning. They'll even send you a digital scale so you can weigh your letters and packages and print the exact right amount of postage every time. And it's so easy to use too. You click, you print, you mail, you're all done. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It's going to save you time. It's going to save you headache, heartache, all that stuff. And it's never been easier to send out your letters and packages right from your desk. So I have worked out a special offer with Stamps.com for my listeners. And that includes a four-week trial plus postage, and a digital scale. You don't make any long-term commitments. You go to stamps.com, you click on the little microphone at the top of the homepage, and you type in interesting. That is stamps.com. You click on the microphone, you enter interesting. One more time, stamps.com, interesting. We briefly touched on Rita Moreno, your yeah. co-star. Um, she is a legend, of course, both for acting and singing and dancing, but also for her work to essentially demand respect for roles of women of color. Like yeah. she, uh, you know, in the 70s, and it was sort of banging that drum, not by herself, but she was a very lonely voice at that yeah. time. What have you, like, learned from working with her? What have you, because you, you talked earlier about working with legends and, like, yeah. all of that. What have you learned from working with her that that maybe you will take into your next jobs? I think what I should take and I have to learn how to take is uh, um, I got it pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty lucky. 
And um, and she is such an inspiration because more than anything, you know, I can talk about what a legend she is, what an icon is, how her stories, there's always some sort of moral to her stories. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And she's got the greatest Hollywood stories. But like I was thinking about this the other day. I think the thing that at this point in our relationship, which is so what I admire the most is here's a woman who has been celebrated like nobody has been, you know, like few in, in our industry and, and well-deserved. And still she got, she didn't even get a third of the opportunities yeah. that all of those women got back then. Yeah. So the fact that she's here, she's still here and she's thriving mm-hmm. and she's uh, relevant. I love it because it's just a smack to the face to all the haters back then, you know, that, that, that didn't give her her due and all the, she outlived all that. And I know it was a different time. I, and yeah. I understand that, but you know, when you're, it's, it was a different time. It's just, uh, it's still disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> It still makes me really mad, you know, yeah. that a woman like that didn't get half the opportunity because she's a, she, she's amazing. Yeah. She can do anything. And I'm more, I'm just so happy that now everyone is, she, she's still, she's still there. She's still kicking. She's still doing everything. My wife and I were watching the the final episodes of season two last night. We had to go and watch her in West Side Story. Just pull up a clip <laughs> yeah. on YouTube. She's just, she, I was, do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, when I first started working with her, I swear to God, I would go home and I put on West Side Story and I like to live in America. And I would just be like, I can't believe I'm working with her. <laughs> I remember being 10 years old, sitting in front of the TV, you know, those big TVs that were like furniture, yeah. sitting in front of that. My parents had gone to Puerto Rico and um, my uh, my grandmother was taking care of us and they had West Side Story on the TV and I was glued. I'd never seen anything like that. Yeah. And then I go, damn, I'm working with her? Mm. Cray cray. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had mentioned earlier that in a lot of, shows uh, you would be playing the Latina character. And you you said that you you have done that before, like early in your career when you were just starting to break in, like what were, what were roles you either didn't want to take or felt like, you know, what, what were the parts that were written for you where you were like, okay, this person has no idea what my life experience is like. Well, I, I, I've always said no to things even, and I mean, not like no to offers. I've said that, but I mean, when I first started, if it was an audition that I thought was ridiculous, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not going in on that. I mean, you know why? Because I grew up with no money. So I was like, all right. <laughs> you know, now that's a different story. Now I'd be like, oh, God. You know, but uh, before I'd be like, whatever. Uh, I never had a problem playing like, and I and I didn't, by the way, but I ha- I would never have a problem playing a prostitute or a game being or if there was an arc right if there was an actual story to this person if there was and that's it didn't even have to be redemption but like an actual story so to me if the character that they gave presented to me had no kind of story i just didn't even want to go in you know and i didn't play game bangers i didn't play any of those things um I don't know why I, I, that never really happened. But uh, what I did do was another thing that they they put women in, uh, Latin women, is, you know, the suffering mother. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it doesn't matter how old you are. You can look two and they're going to make you a mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, if you watch Six Feet Under, I was 28 years old or 20, you know, 27, 28. I looked like a baby. Freddie and I looked like baby, but we had two kids, yeah. you know? So even though that was one of the greatest shows, I don't mean to, oh, because no, no, yeah. I loved working on that. That was another show that was incredibly respectful of, of Freddie and I, and they, Alan Ball worked with us. And if anything was, if we thought anything was in a stereotype or disrespectful, Alan Ball and Alan Poole took it right out. They, mm-hmm. they were amazing to work for. But still, like the suffering mother, the asexual, you know, uh, cop, mm-hmm. you know, the or the oversexualized <laughs> woman. So I I played a lot of those as opposed to game, which and they're still all stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, but I played a lot of suffering mothers, and I didn't realize they were suffering mothers until I look back at my career, and I'm like, wow, because I thought it was awesome because it was so dramatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And now that I look at it, I was like, oh, God, I was crying a lot. <laughs> I did a lot of crying. Uh, but I, I guess I, I'm, I'm going off track, right? No, that's no, great. Okay. That's great. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. No, just the um, the question was like, did I, what was the question again? I, I, I just, I was asking about, you know, when you're early in your career yeah. and you see these parts like, and how you decided yeah. 
what you were going to say no That's to. That's what it was. It was that. It was, it was about the character. Of course, when I was in Chicago and, um, you know, I would get little, there wasn't a lot shooting back then in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And if I got a little part here and there, sometimes it would be, I remember twice I played the girlfriend of a game banger who got killed. Right. Mm. <laughs> that was me getting into the business. But once I got to LA and I started to see things and realize things, I started to make decisions based on character. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I was not, that was not part of my world. I did not want to play those roles. And, um, and I didn't. Right. A lot of entertainment has been catered toward, uh, let's say white men, you know, <laughs> like yeah. written by white men catered toward white men. Yeah. But, and that's why you see roles like the suffering mother come up because yeah. like if you you think about your mom you're like oh my mom cried or whatever but like there are suffering mothers you know like what to you as an as an actor as somebody who reads a lot of material what is the way that we tell these stories about people that do exist in ways that are not stereotypical you know tell stories about the suffering mother about the prostitute yeah. about the gangbanger in ways that don't stereotype them but like try to talk about the reality of that situation well, the person who's writing it has to do some research. Mm. The person who's writing it has to know somebody, has to talk to somebody. Can't just can't just pick from you know little spots he's seen on the news or you know or what they think these people are. Uh, it's it to me that's pure laziness, mm-hmm. you know, to to write characters like that. It's 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 already stupid. It's it's like enough, you know. It's not this. It's, it's ridiculous at this point. Yeah. Um. So I think. The writer has a responsibility to know what he's right he or she is writing about. Yeah, they have a responsibility. Otherwise, it's just fluff. Or unless they're writing about themselves and what they know. But if they're going to try to tell my story, they better talk to me, mm-hmm. and they better be a part of my world and 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 try to understand and uh, and go from it from that point of view. And don't argue with me about what we're like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know how many times I've come across that? It's like we're on a show and and it's like no and I have people that are not latino arguing with me mm. about what what we're like. Mm. That's crazy. <laughs> it's it's insane or so you know just not be so open narrow-minded, not yeah. you know and um not think you know it all because as a white man you've been the lion of the jungle for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you don't know it all. Yeah. So we're all we're all learning from each other. Like I wouldn't know how to tell your story. I wouldn't know how to tell a story of a of even you know of a South Side Irish person from Chicago. And I'm right. from Chicago, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't be like, yeah, I know that story. Yeah. No, I don't know that story. Mm. I don't. So we have to be able to know that we don't know things. We have to ask questions. We and not make assumptions mm. of what we think these people are like. What's the misconception when you're reading parts? Or when you're seeing other people play parts, like what's the misconception about Latino communities? You would love to see most go away. Accents. Mm. Get rid of that crap already. You know, I mean, we've been here for a while. Mm. There are some of us who haven't, but there are some of us who have. And we don't all have to talk like this. Mm. (laughs) You don't have to tell me that I have to come in with an accent. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, accents and also throwing in Spanish for for the hell of it. (laughs) Yeah. I cannot tell you what that does to me because you know why? Because people think it's funny Mm -hmm. when somebody goes off in Spanish. And yeah, it might sound funny because you don't know what the hell they're saying and it sounds like like that, Mm -hmm. but that's offensive. If it's not, if it's not there for a reason, it's offensive. Mm -hmm. And to have people at this, and also don't think that we're all the same. Like I said, we don't all have the same immigration story. Mm -hmm. We don't all have that same story. So just if you're not going to write it well, don't write it. We don't need it. You know what I mean? We'll we'll do something ourselves. But I think that is the biggest, the the accent, the throwing in the Spanish and the thinking that we all have the same story. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The Spanish on One Day at a Time is very deliberately chosen for specific scenes, specific moments. Uh, Tell me about how that has developed, especially, I mean, Gloria obviously is is drawing from her own life, but tell me about how that has developed in in terms of like how you've uh, brought it into the show. Organically, because since we are all, uh, you know, Latin and um, uh, there are certain times when we're like, hey, maybe we could throw this in, you know, sometimes they write it in, but most of the time, uh, the little Spanish here and there, Rita and I just kind of throw it in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's just organic. 
And that's that's what is great about it is that does happen. I mean, we do switch from English to Spanish a lot. It re- we really do, but it's organic. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not so um deliberate as the way they try to make it. So, I think that's what happens. You know, we find where we can put those little things in here and there. Mm, great. Great. Uh, we talked a little bit about Six Feet Under, yeah. but uh, that's a, one of those shows that people just love, people just adore. Um, when you were, were, you were on all five seasons of that yeah. show, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, tell me about your journey with that show because it felt, to me, remem- remembering it, I haven't watched it in like 10 years. So, me neither. <laughs> but it, I remember that you were kind of like a small part and yeah. there was more and more and more. Totally. Tell me about, tell me about like finding that character and slowly becoming like a more integral part of that show. Well, um, at first when I went on, yeah, it was just uh, uh, to play Freddie's wife. Uh, the first season. And, you know, Freddie and I know each other from Chicago. We've been mm-hmm. friends for a long time, but they didn't know that when we walked in for the audition. So it was so funny. <laughs> but I was just his, I was just going to be recurring, like two or three episodes. I'm not, not even recurring, a guest star. And then I did an episode and then they asked me to do another one. And it just kind of, it kind of grew. I didn't have anything to do with it. It was mm-hmm. all them writing it and then me performing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I guess they liked what I did and they liked our chemistry together and they continued to make it a bigger part of the show. Mm-hmm. I never expected that. I was always, I've always been very grateful for that yeah. because even though I had done a lot, I mean, that, that started in 2000 and I got here in 95 and I had been a working actress for all those five years. Six Feet Under changed my life. Yeah. I mean, to this day, it's six, still Six Feet Under. It changed my life. And uh, so, yeah, it was a blessing in disguise. And I, would, I talked about this with Freddie the other day because I was saying, wow, you know, we Freddie knew what a big deal the show was. I didn't know. I really didn't know. Because, you know, there was no social media back then. Yeah. There was no like, I was like, damn, Freddie, if we were on now... <laughs> <laughs> I'd be, we would be on fire, you know? Yeah. So uh, I knew that people liked it and I knew that it was popular, but it wasn't until it went off the air that I knew what a real phenomena this show was. And it was TV history. Yeah. What did you key into in that character that that made you uh, pull it out in a way that they wanted to keep writing to that character? My life. Mm-hmm. What I grew up with, what I, and that's what I mean. That's, that's when it works. You know, it's like they were so lovely. They were so amazing that they, they saw who we were and they just kept writing on those, on, on our personality. Right. And, um, they, that's what I drew from. You, they were a young couple and, uh, Fred, and also Freddie being from Chicago and us having the same background and growing up in the same neighborhood, it was real easy to yeah. have that connection. So just just from my life, you yeah. know, two people together struggling, surviving and um, trying to make something of themselves. Mm. When you came out of that show, like you said, it made your career. Mm-hmm. But what what were you did you feel the pressure to find like another steady gig or were you like, I'm going to I'm going to kind of play the field. I'm going to figure out what I want next. Well, you know, when I came off of that, I was offered some some really great shows that I had turned down and um <laughs> Because I was, because I think I, uh, I overthought things. Let's put it that way. I overthought things. I really did. So I really, honestly, I mean, I've been on some great stuff since then, but this to me is, is kind of the best thing that's come around since yeah. six feet under. Yeah. So it took a while. Let's put it that way. Cause mm. we ended in 2005. Yeah. And so it took over 10 years to really find something and not just be the guest star, the recurring character, you know, the occasional movie here and there. And, um, and to find where I belonged, yeah. I, I knew I belonged on six feet under and now I know I belong on this. Yeah. Yeah. What are you? You did a lot of guest spots. Oh, forget about it. What are some of your favorite <laughs> sets that you worked on? In oh, that time? Private Practice. Yeah, love it. I did the last season of it. Loved everyone on Private Practice. Yeah. Uh, ER. They're fantastic. I loved every single person on that. I did their final season too. <laughs> I was like the final season queen for so a while. So you kill medical dramas, <laughs> is what you're saying? Like that? That's that's your thing. No, this there, it was already being killed. Oh, okay, <laughs> I just got it. They they brought me in at the end. Um, private Practice. ER. Um, Ugly Betty was lovely. I mean, everybody over there was fantastic. Uh, um, I'm trying to think. Oh, and of course, Jane the Virgin. Yeah. My God, Jane the Virgin is just a, a blast to be on. Uh, but that's that's now, of course. But I think probably my favorite was um, 
ER. They yeah. were just great. You know, Scott Grimes, all those people. Yeah. Uh, and, the, you know, the funny thing about ER is they forgot that I was on it. <laughs> <laughs> it had been so long. I did the live episode in yeah. uh, 95 or oh, 96. Wow. I did the live episode. And then when I came on to do to play Scott Grimes' love interest for the last season, they totally forgot that I had been on the show. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> This is a good gig. There's probably there's probably two people who look like you, you exactly know, in the ER universe. So they and I've been lucky. I mean, I've never had a bad experience. I swear, I really haven't. I yeah. mean, you know, everybody hears stories, and of course, you know, it's, people can be temperamental, but they're human beings. Um, I've never really had a bad experience. I've been really lucky. And I also, you know, I get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a guest star, uh, my advice is do your job and get out of the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, there's a lot going on. Just, you know, if, if you connect with people, fantastic. That's amazing. But don't force that connection because yeah. you're just there for a second. And, you know, you're just there to move the story. Uh, and I always knew that. Well, you made a mistake because you mentioned the ER live episode, which yeah. was one of my like favorite random <laughs> TV things that happened. So I have to ask, you did? Do, were you there for both tapings of that? Yeah, the the West Coast and the East Coast. We rehearsed it for a week, and Tommy Schlamy directed it. Oh wow, what a yeah. name! Mm. That was a historic. That was like a historic broadcast. Like what? It like was. what was that night like? Like oh, it was crazy because. Uh, it, it was, it was, uh, everybody was really tense, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember, like, there was a moment where something happened, and we had rehearsal, and something happened in rehearsal, and somebody was in my way, um, and I wasn't in at the right time, and Tommy Shlami was like, you cannot, you cannot <laughs> do that tonight. I was like, okay, all right, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, somebody was in my way. Yeah. I'm like, what do you want me to do? So it was like high pressure like that. And it was George Clooney's idea actually to mm-hmm. do that. And I remember Steven Spielberg was there and all of these people. And it was pretty, it was It was not heard of back then, you know, but, but I will say this. They were very smart on how they did that because they made it like it was a, a, a documentary. Right. Mm-hmm. So if there was a mess up, you know, you could blame it on it yeah. being a documentary. So they were really smart about how they they did that episode. But it went flawlessly because we rehearsed it for, uh, I, I think it was, we were supposed to, we had to be available for two weeks. Mm-hmm. We rehearsed it for two weeks and then we did it, uh, you know, the day for the East Coast and the West Coast, right? That's what we did. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Live mm-hmm. TV is a lot of choreography. Yes, uh, we had a lot of choreography. Race. We did. That's what we did. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a fair, you don't do a lot of, physical slapstick comedy in one day at a time. You do no. some of it. Like you you end up, the actor who plays Max, I forget his name. Uh, Ed in, Quinn. Ed Quinn. So charming. Like you do some really funny uh, sort of physical, because um, he the height disparity. Essentially. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. <laughs> is, that something you, is that something you enjoy? <laughs> that kind of like, um, that kind of more choreographed uh, movement? No, but I, but I don't, I like doing it, but I don't like, uh, I'm not really good at, when, like you know how they do, they have combat fighting yeah. on stage, and you have to do fights. I, I'm horrible, <laughs> I, and I don't know why I'm so bad. I think I'm coordinated, and <laughs> I mean I can dance and everything, and it's like I never get it right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm almost dyslexic when it comes to that. Like do this, do that. So it's kind of intimidating to me. But then when I get it, I really I I love doing it. But it's the uh, it's the process of doing that stuff that yeah. I'm a little bit backwards with. So it's not, it's not my favorite. <laughs> uh, I hope they write several stage combat scenes in the season three. Uh, just like suddenly Penelope is like fighting with people. <laughs> um, I, I do like, it, it sounds like when you were talking to younger actors now, yeah. because you've had a career for a while now, like what, What's the advice you give when you look back at that person who first moved to L.A.? Like, what do you wish you could tell her? And now what are you telling young actors that you work with? Oh, well, I wish I could tell her that um, to not let this town make you feel so bad about yourself. Mm. (laughs) As much as I love Hollywood, it can do a real mind thing on you, you know? And uh, uh there, it became when I got here, it became more about the way you looked as opposed to what you were doing, you know? Right. And I think that's really changed. The 90s, you know what the 90s was like here. Everybody was like, had to be a size two. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really changed. That has really evolved. And, and, uh, and I'm think I'm thankful for that. But also just not to, people are going to say things, you know, actors always want feedback. 
Right. I, I don't really need that feedback. You know, either I got the job or I didn't get the job, <laughs> you know, unless I feel like, oh, because people aren't going to see some things in you that are special. And some people are going to see the things that, that are special in you. So let's not put so much attention on what people think about us, you know, yeah. either. And I know that's a lot to ask when we're walking in and saying, hire me. What do you think about me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then when you walk out of there, the feedback thing, I think it's ridiculous because yeah. as all it's doing is making you depressed unless the feedback is good. You know, it's like, I don't want to hear that they don't think I have it. I don't want to hear that, you know, this or that about me unless it's something that I'm not doing right. Like, am I coming into auditions not being prepared? Then yes, then yeah. that's something that needs to be dealt with. But if it's just that you don't get me, well, then that's all right. There's going to be somebody else that gets you. Yeah. So I think that that's it. And also they have to know that it's not going to happen right away. And if it does, that doesn't mean it stays that way right away. And maybe it does. But there's there it just goes up and down. And you're forever reinventing yourself. You're forever proving yourself again and don't get so upset about that you know don't get so upset that going i can't believe they're gonna make me go in i just did this show for them three years ago or two years ago it doesn't really matter you know either you want to do it or you don't want to do it yeah you know so if they say you got to come and go in yeah go in you know and 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 get the ego out of the way because you have a lot of people in your ear the more the more you work the more people are in your ear telling you what you should do just always remember you know, just go back to yourself and yeah. and think about what you want to do, not what everybody thinks you should do. Sometimes they do have the good advice and sometimes you do need to listen to them, but not when it's fear based, you know, and not when it's, uh, uh, you know, ego based either, which I know that's really weird to say in this town because it's all about that. Right. It's all about fear and it's all about the ego. So if I could say that to uh, that 22 year old, I would definitely say that for sure. Yeah. 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 We, uh, an earlier episode of the show was with Eric Stone Street from uh, Modern Family. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, I talked with him a lot about uh, working as uh, essentially a, a plus size actor mm-hmm. in his early days and like what, where he drew the line. And he talks with other young men who are larger and it's like, here, you need to draw, decide where you're going to draw the line. When you talk with actresses, Latina actresses yeah. in essence about, cause you were talking earlier about having like finding a story and making sure that those characters had a story. And that was kind of your line. It sounds like mm-hmm. when you talk with young Latina actresses who are entering the industry, how do you have that conversation with them about like finding the line, about finding the thing you're going to do and the thing you're not going to do? Well, most, when most actors, young actresses, young Latina actresses or any, you know, actor, they, they don't even ask those kind of questions. They just want to know sometimes how, how, how did you get where you're at? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, when you're young, you just want to get there. You know what I mean? You don't want to think about anything else. So how did you do this? Or how did you do that? Um, but what, can you ask me that again? I swear you, to God, just I got kind of you had, you, you had You had your own line for like, does this character have a story arc? Yeah. And then I will play them. And like, if uh, maybe you're not having those conversations, but. Yeah, that's okay. That's what it was. Because I, I, I went off into my world right now thinking, and I'm not having those conversations. Because more than anything, so many young actors are just trying to get representation. Yeah. And that is really what they come from. They, they, they come to speak to me about that. Like, how do I get in the room? Yeah. So we don't even have that conversation yet because it's so difficult for young actors and especially actors of color to get representation Yeah, because there's so much going on and agents don't and casting directors almost already want you to have something. Yeah. It's really, it's different. When I first got here, I sent out eight by tens. Okay. Like 28 by tens. I dropped them off. I could also go into studios, but by the way, when, when I first got here before nine 11, you could actually drive to Warner brothers and be like, I'm just dropping something off, you know, and they would let you in and you'd go to the casting director and you'd give them your picture. So it was a lot more hitting the streets back then. Mm -hmm. Um, so when it comes to that, I don't even know how to give them advice to that because it's a whole different world. Yeah. Um, all I could say to them is when they do get the opportunities to not feel that the first opportunity or the first 10 opportunities you get, if you don't get it, that doesn't mean anything. Right. All I can say is, yeah, you can love the craft like crazy, but you better have a lot of persistence. Yeah. Yeah. You better have some kind of self-esteem. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or just be so crazy that you think you're badass no matter what. Um, and uh, you just have to know it inside of you and 
and just go for it. Really, there is no advice. Yeah. There is no advice except that if you know it, you want it, you go for it, you're persistent, you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs. But, you know, I always think that the talent always rises to the top. I yeah. really do feel that way. I don't know how long it's going to take. You know, young actors don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. But um, it might take, it might be a lifetime, but don't you want to be an actor forever? So, you know. Yeah. I always tell young journalists that I spent many years writing a blog just that nobody was paying me for and like mm-hmm. ha- having to hope somebody would pay attention to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, before we head into the end of the show, I'm going to ask, what was your story? How did you break in? What was your... My story, I, I was, uh, I, I, oh my God. My mother sent me to a, a ridiculous high school that I hated every single second of it. It was like a technical high school. And I barely went to school. I mean, I was bad. And so I wasn't going to go to college. Mm-hmm. And uh, I uh, started working at a bank. And um, when my best friend's mother happened to be a talent agent in Chicago. Mm. And she called me up one day and she said, there's a part in a play. I know you're not an actress, but you know she knew I didn't know what to do with my life. And um, she told me to go in and I walked in and I auditioned for that part. Yeah. And then I just kept working. Mm. That is exactly how it happened. Mm. It took me a while to believe that I was a real actress. It took me a while to say, all right, I'm going to do this because, of course, my family didn't believe it, didn't understand it. They, they, My mother thought I should have stayed at the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I was making $9 an hour. She thought that was like, oh, my God, a fortune, you know, and... Um, so I just decided, yeah, this is what am I doing here in Chicago? By the way, I loved Chicago growing up in there. So I didn't mean like that. But I literally was like, I didn't see a future for myself in these things. And I was like, all right, if I'm serious about this, then I have to leave Chicago now. Yeah, and so yeah. that's what happened. Well, we end every show by asking our guests some of the same questions. So I'm going to ask you those questions. Every time I, I meet an actor who has a lot of stage experience, I ask, what is your on stage disaster. What was the worst night you had on stage? Oh, oh! I I was doing a free man of color at the Lincoln Center. George Wolf directed, and we had a scene with uh, Jeffrey Wright, and I had a scene, and this was during tech, and um, he had on some. Uh, we were in co- full costume, and he had some sort of spikes on his boot it was a period piece and I had on a corset and I had to wrap my legs around him and I fell down and his uh his spike on his shoe cut my like I had like 20 stitches on my thigh it went right through me like you could see the white bone yeah and so they they the ambulance came and picked me up and took me to this hospital and it was hilarious because I still had the wig on (laughs) and I had the little corset and I was like walking and of course, welcome to New York City. Nobody even looked at me twice. <laughs> so that was, a, I got injured pretty bad on that set. What uh, is the best meal you've had, whether for the food or the company, interpret that how you like? Oh my God, I would say I just got back from Italy and um, we, oh God, I wish I remember the name of this restaurant because we went every single day in Rome. It was right by the Coliseum mm-hmm. and um, Aldo, Aldo was the owner and uh I was with the most amazing people and we were right in Rome and the food was amazing. So I would say, yes, I just had a Thanksgiving dinner in Rome. It was Mm. amazing. What's your favorite Italian dish? Oh my God. I like everything saucy. (laughs) I like it saucy. I like everything. I love Italian food so much. Um, But you know, I I like a red sauce. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like a pink sauce. I like it all. And finally, uh, who's the actor you've learned the most from dead or alive that you've never met? I've learned the most from, mm, mm, mm. I, mm, wow, I, I, I feel like I've learned and taken from every actor. I really do feel that way. I don't feel like I've ever, one has ever stood out and been like, I feel like I'm like, oh my God, I love what this person does. I love what that person does. So I will tell you somebody who I adore at this moment mm. is an actress named Helen McCrory mm. who, who's on Peaky Blinders yeah. and was that woman is so brilliant yes. so I will say that I learn from her yeah. like every day I go I cannot believe this lady like <laughs> I want to be like her yeah yeah yeah, that, that woman is fierce. Yeah, what is, what is it about a performer that speaks to you? Oh my god, the 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 honesty, mm-hmm. the the when they're raw, the vulnerability levels um and you know and when just to be a real person, whatever that person is, you mm-hmm. know, just whatever that person is, a real person that I can, that I believe you. Yeah. I so believe you. I just want to believe you. I don't mm-hmm. care what you're playing. If I believe you, then I'm like, wow, 
you know, like Peaky Blinders is one of my new favorite shows. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm. I love everybody on that show. I believe every single one of them and I rewatch it and I rewatch it and I look at performances. And if I'm rewatching and looking at your performance in awe, mm. yeah, I love it. That's how I feel. Well, Peaky Blinders is on Netflix where <laughs> one day at a time. That's right. It's also on Netflix. That's right. Both seasons, you should watch them. I love the show. Justina, thank you for coming. Thank on. you so much. I Think You're Interesting is taped before a live studio audience of our recording engineer, Che. And these are the closing credits for this week's episode. Uh, I am the executive producer and host of I Think You're Interesting, Todd Vanderwer. Fox Podcasting is headed up by Marty Moe and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishat Kurwa. Our sound designer is Miles Ewell. Our logo design is thanks to Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Ulreich. Our production coordinator is Carrie Clements. Our audio engineering and our studio are both thanks to P3 Post. Their studio is in lovely Hollywood, California. Our editor this week is Peter Leonard. Our recording engineer, as always, is Che Brooks. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you find your finest podcasts. It helps us get the word out. It helps people tune into the show. A lot of people have been listening to the early episodes on, on Apple Podcasts, which make, makes me hope that like people are getting caught up on the back catalog. If you haven't listened to the back catalog of this show, let me recommend to you the Anne Crabtree episode. I think it's like episode 10 or 11. She's the costume designer on The Handmaid's Tale. Great episode. I think you're going to love it. She's a fascinating person. If you have something you want to tell me that you don't want to leave in a review, you can write to me at Todd at Vox.com or you can write to the show at ityi.podcast, itye.podcast at Vox.com. And you can tweet at me at TVOTI. That is Tavoti. We will be back next week. We're going to be talking to the novelist Lev Grossman, who wrote the books that are the basis of the show, The Magicians. Some of my favorite books, one of my favorite shows. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Actually, I know it's going to be a lot of fun. I've already recorded it. You're going to like it. Uh, But until then, please remember, this is it, the life you get. So go and have a ball. Bye.